When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to another installment of the Wide Ride Podcast. I'm Manny Navarro, Miami Hurricanes beat writer for The Athletic, joined by Carlos Ledo of the MIA All Day Pod. It's a little afternoon here on Tuesday, November 7th. And uh, Carlos, I, I can see that uh, this NC State result and what's happened with this Miami offense has you, uh, has you drinking this week. It's five o'clock somewhere. All right. And it started, five, it started being five o'clock every day of my life. As soon as that game was over. I tried to um, see if I could jinx the Seminoles um, this week by wearing that FSU hat. Um, I bought with me to, to my two soccer games, which my team's lost by a combined score of 16 to three. Carlos, we are some people, some people will call that karma. We are awful. <clears throat> uh, lost nine to one and seven to three. My daughter's two games. I drafted a terrible team. I can't recruit. I'm I'm really not good at this, so I shouldn't be giving anybody adv- advice. But I figured wear the hat to the game, and maybe you know this sort of rubs off on the Seminoles, and they end up sitting Keon Coleman and Johnny Wilson and looking like ass really for the first half against Pittsburgh, and then you know win the game comfortably, twenty four to seven, with a little bit of a struggle. And now Miami goes into Tallahassee this week to face the number four ranked team in the country, uh, who's nine and zero. And I think Keon Coleman and Johnny Wilson are back. I know the spread is fourteen and a half. Are you going to be laying any money on the Hurricanes this week? <laughs> Listen, I don't lay money on any games. I'm not a I'm not a gambler. I learned very early on in my life that sports gambling is a fickle beast. I uh, got very excited one year when I bet the Patriots against the Rams in the Super Bowl that year and won uh, like 500 bucks. Back then, that was a shit ton of money for me because I was very young. And then uh, proceeded to lose that immediately the next few weeks um, trying to bet basketball. So <clears throat> sports gambling, not for me. But uh, if I were a betting man, I would definitely not take the 14 and a half this week. Um, funny you said that the Seminoles look like ass when they settle those people. The Hurricanes look like ass, and they had everybody available. <laughs> they lose 20-6 to six to NC State in a game that I think is probably the point where we can start thinking maybe maybe Miami doesn't win another game this year the way that they're playing offense right now. Uh, you look at the rest of the schedule after the Seminoles, you get the 8-1 and one Louisville Cardinals, who I watched on Saturday from my couch. They absolutely dominated a mid uh, Virginia Tech team ran the ball really well, played really good defense, have a really good uh, front. I think that that get to the quarterback and create problems. Um, and then you play Boston College in the cold right after Thanksgiving, and Thomas. That's Cas- the trip to fan game. The trip to fan game is always dangerous. And Thomas Castellanos, their quarterback. I mean, look, it wasn't they didn't dominate UConn, but they won twenty-one to fourteen or whatever, and they're playing well enough to keep winning. 
And uh, so that might be the difference between six and six and seven and five is do they show up at Boston College? Because at this point, I don't think they're beating Florida State. I don't think they're beating Louisville. The offense is horrendous. Mario Cristobal has basically said uh, the quarterback job is unsecure, right? By, by, by basically saying he won't discuss who his starting quarterback is. So we don't know mm-hmm. if Tyler Van Dyke is going to go back out there. It could be Emory Williams. It could be Jakari Brown. We don't know. I don't know. I'm not out there. We don't, I don't get to see practice. Nobody invites me. Uh, but I'm sure the message boards will have the answer soon enough of who is taking all the snaps in practice this week with the first team. Uh, if you had to handicap it right now, Carlos, who would you start and why at Florida State? Well, first of all, let's let's go back to a couple of things you said earlier. Uh, very good use of the word mid. Nice, nice Gen Z language. So we're trying to appeal to all demographics, not yes. just the old fogies like ourselves. So there you go. Um, also, nobody believes you. You just happened to buy that Florida State hat for the show last week. It's a that prop. Looks, it's a yeah, prop. It looks, it looks way too worn and used and broken in. Everybody knows that's the one you use to sleep at night. So that's fine. <clears throat> kind of like Ebenezer Scrooge was a little sleeping hat. That's your sleeping hat at night. Um, listen, if I were Mario Cristobal, here's what I would do. I would sit down with Tyler Van Dyke and have an honest conversation with him and try and see where there's, where his head's at. Is there any way we can fix this? To me, the concern is, you know, he's not reading defense as well, clearly. He's not operating the offense well, clearly. But it doesn't seem like he's getting any help from his coordinator, who also happens to be his quarterback coach. Why are you not sitting down? And if you're expecting coverage, which we should be anticipating every week by now, going through this stuff with him on a weekly basis and showing him film and saying, okay, look, this is where we could do better. This is where these coverages are ending up with these route schemes. You know, what do you feel more comfortable throwing? What do you feel more comfortable? How do you feel more comfortable operating the offense? Giving him an opportunity to have some input, but also trying to guide him and coach him up in terms of, you know, where the opportunities are and, and trying to show him, I would sit him down and show him film of when he was doing really well to try and get his confidence back and say, look, this is the kind of player you truly are. This, this is the guy that we feel you are. We've seen this on tape. You've got tons of tape doing all these great things. And even within moments, within these terrible games, you make big plays and make nice throws. We just need to get more consistency out of you. And it's just building up the confidence again. But if the kid seems broken, and you can tell that by having the conversation with him, it might be best to just have the, the talk with him and say, listen, <clears throat> it may be best for your future if we say that you're too hurt to play the rest of the season. If you're too banged up, we're just going to put you on the bench. We're going to call it injuries. We're going to say we're, we're just trying to save your body. We don't want you going out there and, and unnecessarily hurting yourself because you aren't right. You aren't yourself physically. And then we'll allow you to go in the transfer portal and you can find another place to play and maybe put some better tape out there for one, one more season. I think that'll be better for everybody. And then move on to Emory Williams and Jakari Brown and see what happens. That's, to me, are the two options. I mean, if there's enough left in the tank, if you think you could pull something out of uh, Tyler Van Dyke, then you start him and, and give him a short leash. You know, if he if he plays terrible in that first half, you pull him, and that's it. But to me, I think the kid pr- would probably be better served if he just doesn't have it anymore, if he's lost it, if his confidence is gone, to just say, let's shelve you for the season, you know, say it's an injury, let you move on, find somewhere else to play, and you start fresh. Because at this point, it's just become too much of a snowball effect for, for this kid to maybe uh, get out of that funk. But at the same time, like I said, I think the offensive coordinator – I think has to do a little bit more as a, not just as a coordinator, but as a quarterback coach during meetings to prepare this guy for games, because he goes out there and he looks like he doesn't know what he's doing. And based on the conversations they're having in in press conferences with Shannon Dawson, he's not giving the, uh, the confidence that he's actually having these sorts of conversations, these sorts of meetings with Tyler Van Dyke 
to go over game planning and, and really figure out what's going on. For God's sakes, we talked about it two weeks ago. They they came out and said they played more coverage than we anticipated. Like, what? Seriously? So what are you preparing for week to week? I don't understand it. And this comment this week about – this is the other funny comment this week from Shannon Dawson. We don't like to run things we don't practice uh, in terms of putting in a guy in a situation in a game or like, hey, give us a spark. My man, you've been running the same shit since the first game of the season. What do you mean things you haven't practiced? You haven't run anything different. If this kid doesn't know the offense by now, whoever's on the team, okay, I don't know what you're going to do because you've been running the exact same offense since week one and have made zero adjustments, made zero innovations, done nothing to get personnel involved and in creative ways. So what are you talking about? You you could just throw that kid in there right now. You haven't changed anything. He's been seeing it since the spring. So why why feel like he can't handle the offense, whoever it is, Emory Williams or Jakari Brown? Because you haven't changed anything. I'm with you across all of those points, and, and we're going to talk more about the quarterback here in a minute. But, again, I'm not trying to defend Tyler Van Dyke and say he's the greatest thing since sliced bread and this and that. I've never said that about him. I said maybe he's a guy that with a really good season this year, he could be drafted maybe on day three, right? Like I think if he if he played like the Tyler <clears throat> Van Dyke we saw over the final six games of his uh, redshirt freshman season where he beat Pittsburgh on the road and played really, really well in an offense. Maybe he's the kind of guy that an NFL team turns into a backup quarterback. And now the fan base has totally given up on him because his last five games have been truly awful. Uh, or last two games, rather, have been truly awful. And if you go back four games, he's got five touchdown passes and ten interceptions in his last four starts. So, yes, it's not good. They're struggling uh, as an offense. Five interceptions, no touchdowns in his last two starts. Uh, but I think one thing we have to acknowledge is, for sure, he's banged up. And two, the blame is not on, all on him. I think if he has a tight end, Carlos, this year, if he has somebody reliable, right? Like, let's say you put Will Mallory on this team. Yeah. Will Mallory. I'm not even talking Brevin Jordan. I'm not even talking Bubba Franks. I'm not talking Jeremy Shockey. Just put Will Mallory back on this team. And he has another option to get the ball to in the middle of the field, somebody that he trusts. Well, then I think this offense is probably looking a whole lot better these last couple games. Um, the second aspect, everything that you said about the passing game, uh, to me, the routes, it doesn't look like anything has changed in this uh, Shannon Dawson offense from, you know, when they were 4-0 to where they're now six and three in terms of where guys are running to go catch the ball. And it's obvious that everybody and their mother is basically playing rush three, drop eight and not giving and, and basically trying to confuse them. And I don't understand how there has not been more adjustments made to accommodate him. But I want to read some numbers here before we're, we're going to talk a lot about Tyler Van Dyke on the show. We're going to get to mailbag questions. I'm going to talk a little bit of FSU. Um, but I want to read some numbers because I'm looking at sportsreference.com where they list all the passers in Miami Hurricanes history. Let me ask you something. Where do you think Tyler Van Dyke's quarterback rating among all-time Miami quarterbacks? I'm talking about guys that started for a year at least. Where do you think it ranks? Well, you had a pretty good redshirt freshman season. Uh, last season was terrible, but it wasn't god-awful statistically. I'm going to say somewhere around uh... – Ryan Clement. Uh, this is number one. You ready? Vinny Testaverde. Okay. Uh, 152.9 rating. 6,058 yards. 48 touchdowns. 25 picks. 61.3 completion percentage. You know who's number two? Tyler, Tyler Van Dyke. Tyler Van Dyke. 148.1 quarterback rating. 6,823 yards. 64% completion percentage. 
51 touchdowns, 22 interceptions. Well, that's because he had he was on such a great tear to begin his career. Um, but he's had 10 in the last four games, which is the problem. So I guess overall, yes. But well, I, here's something else I would add. Okay, and, and I'm sorry to interrupt you because I'm sure you're going to make a good point. But here's something else I would add. Who did Vinny Testaverde play with? Oh yeah, of course. Who who were his receivers? Who was who who was his running backs? How about the guy behind uh, Tyler Van Dyke in QB rating? Uh, Ken Dorsey, one forty-seven point four. Okay, nine thousand five hundred sixty-five yards, eighty-six touchdowns, twenty-eight picks. Brad Kaya behind Dorsey, one forty-six point two. 9,968 yards, uh, 60.6 completion percentage, 69 touchdowns, 24 picks. I, I guess my point is, like, for the Miami fans who say Tyler Van Dyke is trash, A, look at who his number one receiver is. Where would Xavier Restrepo honestly rank among the top 10 receivers in Miami Hurricanes history? Would he be in the also receiving votes category? Um, does, does, did Ken Dorsey have a tight end to throw to, uh, did Vinny Testaverde have more than Michael Irvin to throw to How about Brad Kaya? You could even argue Brad Kaya had a better set of receivers to throw to than Tyler Van Dyke. So I, I guess for the fans who want to exercise TVD and kill him for, for these last couple performances, I don't know, maybe look at history a little bit too. Yeah, absolutely. But I think the, the major concern is all of those guys as time went on, got better. Um, with the exception of Testaverde, who had his worst game of his career in his last game. But statistically and, and performance-wise, they elevated their game as time went on with the Hurricanes. Here, it's kind of the opposite. You know, he started high and started tumbling. It's like buying a stock, and you got all this money that you're making all this money on. You bought Bitcoin early, and man, you're feeling good. It hits the high mark. You don't sell, and all of a sudden, it bottoms out, and you lose all your money. Um, you're going to end up with a bad taste in your mouth. Yeah, Bitcoin was high for a while, and you were feeling good. But then it bottoms out and you're feeling like shit because you're left with nothing or a lot less than what you had before. So to me, it's it's also the feeling of why the, the way it's gone bad, right? Right. Why and how bad how quickly it's gone bad and how how awful it looks in recent weeks. And you know, like you're you're right, he doesn't have a uh, a great complement of receivers, but did he ever? Like to, to begin his career, compared to the guys well, he has now, were they significantly better? I would say the kid that, and I forget his name. I should know this because he's only here a couple of years ago. But the transfer they got from Oklahoma, Rambo, Charleston, Ram Rambo, Charleston Rambo. Rambo. How can I forget Charleston Rambo? And they had a tight end, I, I, and Mike Harley, and, and and they had Brevin Jordan. They had Will Mallory. Right. I mean, I think all of but that. I, mean, I think Restrepo is comparable to Harley. I think you're right. Rambo is probably better than Colby Young and Jacoby George. Um, but I think it's really more that Colby Young hasn't gotten the the opportunities. But that's just me. But I don't think it's significantly better to the point where you're talking about, like you said, with the difference between Michael Irvin and Tessa Verde, what they had and what, what Ken Dorsey had, even Brad Kaya had. Um, I think the lack of a tight end, like you said, is huge. Uh, but I also think at the end of the day, what's there's the first shot. Let me take a shot myself. Hang on. At the end of the day. Um, it's It's become a situation where it's clearly more mental than it is physical. Right. And that's the issue because now he's deteriorated into Chuck Knobloch. Now he's got the yips. Now he's got to a point mm -hmm. where he just doesn't see the game and he doesn't look comfortable out there no matter what's going on. And yeah. that's the problem. Now it doesn't become a physical issue. Now it's a psychological issue. And can he overcome that? And from what we've seen, it's only getting worse. So that's the concern. I mean, yes, he's talented. Yes, he has ability. When he's right, he's really damn good. But right. he hasn't been right for a while and he's gotten progressively worse as time gone on. Carlos, I, I think you and I were talking before we started recording on this about, and we were looking at some pro football focus analytics in terms of uh, Tyler versus 
I, I guess, uh, an extra blitzer. And and then when teams decide to drop back and play zone, and you and I have talked about this on the podcast for a long time, he's just not good at looking beyond one or two reads, right? Like it's just not his thing. Um, I, I think a lot of this ultimately comes back to one thing, and that's this offense was pretty simplistic, right? Like they dumbed it down quite a bit, the route running, the the scheme, throw into space, find the open guy. But he spent the whole season throwing to the same three guys. And it feels like defensives defensive coordinators beginning with Georgia Tech just basically said, you know what? Uh, Shannon Dawson's not going to make any adjustments. They're going to keep running their thing. Let's just drop in coverage all day and take away what he's good at, which is basically trying to beat one-on-one coverage um, with, with, with extra blitzers and pressure coming at him. So um, it seems very simple, and it seems as though, yes, while he's lost his confidence and maybe has the yips, that there should be an easy adjustment to this, right? Like you've talked about it on the show. You've you've mentioned some of the things that this coordinator can do, and yet we're not seeing it. And so th- the next question I have is, and, and this is something that goes maybe to a bigger, a much bigger topic, is how much of this is Mario Cristobal's doing where he wants to play this conservative game plan and meddle with the offense which is all i heard he did or all he did at oregon right from from a lot of the beat writers who i talked to who said look he's a great recruiter um, but ultimately he's gonna mess with the offense and he's gonna get involved in it um do you think this is mario's doing do you think shannon dawson has lost his voice what would you what uh, when you look at this how much of this is, does, does this remind you of last year's offense even i mean it comes pretty close but there's some differences in terms of the formation and the stuff they're running Mm-hmm. Um, the packages are throwing out there, but ultimately, I think you know Mario has some influence in this offense. Obviously, he wants to be run heavy. I think he he leans heavily on the type of run schemes they want to, when they want to come out there with. Um, I think you can be run heavy and a little bit more uh, physical driven in terms of wanting to impose your will on the opposing on, on the opponent and still be creative. I don't think that has to be a situation where you have to be conservative and just be static and not do anything uh, in terms of motion shifts and and specific things and your run schemes to try and put pressure on the defense. Because, you know, I, I think Mario would agree, running inside zone 20 times a game, just straight up the middle of the field is not working. That isn't sufficient. Yeah, you'll break a couple and you'll get some big runs, but at the end of the day, you need to be a little bit more diverse in that because the defense is going to adjust and stop it. This offensive line has played well, but it hasn't been road grinding everybody. When was the last time they rushed for 200 yards? So it's not the like they're going. The Clemson game, I think, was. Clemson was it. close. Yeah, right. So that was the one game where they, in the fourth quarter, just started churning yardage. But they need assistance. They need something in that passing game. And to give you a stat, like you're talking about with Shannon Dawson, what can be done to help TVD, to help adjust to these zones? He is currently, for the season, on play action passing, 42 of 52. That's 81% or four touchdowns and interception, 8.8 yards in attempt. This past game against NC State, 9 of 12 for 102 yards in play action. If you want to be run heavy, right, if you want to lean on your offensive line, you want to grind people out, you're going to be able to get play action shots. You're going to be able to get play action opportunities. Why aren't they doing more of that? Why is that only like 20% or 19% of their total pass attempts? It's mind-boggling to me. How do you go into a game knowing that Brashard Smith may be the most explosive talent you have on offense and give him zero touches? And and we talked about it all last season. Where's the jet sweep? 
Now, where's the bubble screen? That's disappeared. They haven't run that all season. Why not put him in the backfield like they have, but instead of running the ball, get him in a route out of the backfield and line, match him up with a linebacker. Have him sit in a zone, catch the ball in open space, and let him make plays. Like, there's opportunities and ways to do these things. You were talking about Will Mallory. One of the beautiful things to see with Will Mallory was, and the Miami tight ends, you would fake a run one way, go zone left, boot back the other way, have the tight end chip and release in the flat. You throw that to Will Mallory, you're getting seven to nine yards every time, if not a bigger play, right? Where are the tight end wheel rail routes up the sideline that Will Mallory used to make money on, right? Where are those seam routes that Brevin Jordan used to attack people on? Those are things that are missing in the offense. And formationally, in terms of what they're lining up in, it's not creative. In terms of what they're doing with their motions or their shifts, the only person they're motioning is Cam McCormick to use as a battering ram, right? On occasion, they'll, they'll motion Restrepo across, but nothing more. They're not using orbit motions, which are motions to the backfield and around. They're not doing any of that stuff. They could easily toss a rocket sweep to Brashard Smith on that. They could easily run plays off of that stuff. And even the things they keep running week to week, like the quick screen, right? The quick wide receiver tunnel screen. Where the receiver steps down, comes back, the offensive line pulls out in front of him, and he catches the ball and goes behind them. They have yet to run a counter to that all season. Teams are waiting for that. You have no play where you pump that or look to it and have the guy that's like Restrepo cracking out to the corner just turn up the field. Because every time the corners and the safeties are seeing the outside receiver step down, they know it's the quick screen, so they're attacking it. Yeah. You have that opportunity behind. That These are little things, just little things that you can do to adjust. At this point, if I'm if I'm Shannon Dawson going into this game, I don't care who the quarterback is. I, if I'm going 12 or 11 personnel, which is one running back, one tight end, or one running back, two tight ends, I start Matthew McCoy at tight end. I don't give a shit. Cam McCormick is useless out there in the passing game. All right? If you want to hammer down, if you really want to throw down and turn this into a phone booth fight, then you start McCoy at tight end. You go in there with six offensive linemen. When you want to go 12 personnel with two tight ends, you bring McCormick in at the, at the wing. You motion him around and hammer down like the way you like to, but you add an extra offensive lineman because you're not getting shit out of McCormick in the passing game anyway. So what's yeah. the point? Why not bring a better blocker out there? Okay? Yeah. And then hammer the ball down. Then run play action and take your shots when Florida State starts to creep up. Yeah, I, I agree. I think – and that's – and again, the tight end position. I mean, we've kind of just overlooked it in the beginning because the the passing game was so successful and you, you didn't need them. But really, as the season has progressed, it's become more and more evident that when you don't even have a threat at that spot. And and it's funny because I've had some Canes fans ask me, well, what about Jaleel Skinner? I'm like, well, Jaleel Skinner doesn't block. That's why he's not playing, right? Like, that's the honest to God truth. Riley Williams is sort of the, the, the in-between guy where he's a better receiver – than uh, McCormick, but ultimately Mario wants the blocking in there the majority of the time. He doesn't even want to think about, uh, you know, using the tight end in the passing game. So Miami's in a really rough spot, and I don't know what they're going to do next season, like at quarterback. Like what? What? I mean, I guess Emory Williams, you would think, would be the guy, and and maybe Tyler Van Dyke leaves, and and you know maybe Jakari Brown leaves, and you and you bring in a guy like Michael Pratt, who's who's from Miami. That's the rumor anyway that he's going to be the guy coming here from Tulane. I don't know that any of that solves your issues on offense. And that's why the next three games are going to be really, really interesting to see if they make any adjustments whatsoever. What are they going to do against quality teams here down the stretch? At this point, the season's gone, right? You're not going to go to the ACC title game. You're basically bowl eligible. And what are you doing? You're fighting to go from either the uh, Carquest Bowl in, in, in Afghanistan to maybe the Duke's Mayo Bowl. In North Carolina, like that's the the swing. So at mm -hmm. this point, why not just sit TVD down, tell do what I said. Like, listen for your own best self interest. 
let's have you sit down. We'll say it's an injury. You can move on at the end of the season. We'll give you highly high recommendations. Say it was your body that failed you at the end, but you're good to go now at the end of the season. And just play both Emory Williams and Jakari Brown and figure out who your quarterback of the future is going to be and see who gives you the best shot to win moving forward. And then whoever loses that competition, then that person will probably move on to the portal as well. But you've got to see what you have. And if it's neither of those guys moving into next season, then you go out in the portal and get yourself a veteran quarterback. But you have to see what you've got going on moving forward. And you can't keep banging your head doing the same thing, expecting a different result. Because at the end of the day, there has to be some sort of change. You can't just go in there believing that at some point, all this shit is going to click, even though it hasn't for the last nine games. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. You're right. And, and, and I think ultimately that's what people have to think about here is you're not going to be favored probably in either of these next two games. I don't even know if at Boston College, like if they lose the next two and they're six and five going to the Boston College, I'm sure people will probably be picking Boston College to win that game. So what, what do you have to lose at this point uh, other than, you know, uh, the confidence of some of these young players, right? Like we say, oh, I don't want them to go out there and get their confidence destroyed. But uh, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what Mario does. I honestly don't know, Carlos. I have no inkling what he's going to do. Uh, Mario's, you know, going to try to play this coy the whole time. My gut tells me that Tyler Van Dyke's going to end up starting and that, and if he struggles, he'll be replaced. Um, but who knows? Who knows what, what Mario's thinking if this is the time to just go to Emory and to sprinkle in some Jakari Brown uh, to try to make it work. I'm not, I'm not 100% sure. Yeah, we will see. I mean, at the end of the, what, what they need to do, really, to, to try and win this game. Almost did it. Almost did it. No, I pulled it back. I reeled it back. Okay. All Got right. it back in. Um, <laughs> what they need to do is turn this into a bar fight. That's, yeah. that's their only shot of winning. They got to muddy this game, turn it into just a physical battle, and try and beat and impose their will upon Florida State physically and get a win that way. And, I mean, whoever's a quarterback, you have to adjust to what has been done to Tyler Van Dyke, the zones they've thrown at him. If you're going to start Tyler, you got to give him those, that help, man. you got to throw those bubble screens. Use more RPOs. I mean, in the fourth quarter, they were 3 of 3 for 25 yards on RPO glances, which is the RPO slants to Colby Young for 25 yards. You were setting mm-hmm. yourself up in second and one, second and two every time you ran that. Once you start doing that and the defense creeps up, you hit them over the top with it. The other thing they're not doing is flooding zones. You can actually create conflict within zones if you run high-low routes at the zone and then confuse where the coverage is supposed to go, who's got who and what area. But there's not enough of that. You're seeing a lot more spread route uh, designs where guys are all over the field, and you end up seeing a lot of guys just standing in the flat, motionless, waiting for the ball because the coverage has dropped so far down the field. And to me, that's a waste. You need to have guys in motion moving and finding open zones out of the field. If you're going to have somebody in the flat, have them late release so the defense doesn't see them standing there and be able to come up and make a tackle quickly. So that's another thing they haven't done is late releases – you know, backside throws, things of that nature. And where the hell? I haven't seen a, a halfback screen in weeks. Have we even run one? I don't know. I mean, I, I'm just I, all I frustrated remember, with this offense. I don't remember seeing one at all. Um, I wanted to go over uh, run-pass ratio just because we kind of brought up Mario's influence, right, on the offense and, uh, and you know, what he's sort of wanting if it's it's just being ultra-conservative because you don't want to turn the ball over. Obviously, that that's made sense the way Tyler's played the last few games. Um all right. Uh, if you go to the NC State game, Miami threw it 38 times, ran it 32. 
So uh, that's one for the passing game. Uh, against Virginia, Miami threw it 30 times, uh, ran it 26 times. Again, another one for the passing game. That's 2 nothing. Clemson is the last game where Miami actually ran it more than they threw it. That's 38 rushes, 33 passes, so it's 2-1. North Carolina, 49 throws, 27 rushes. They had to basically abandon the, the running game in the second half because they were getting their asses kicked, so that's understandable. 3-1 passing game. Georgia Tech, Miami ran it 47 times, only threw it 36 times, ended up losing that game because, well, <laughs> they didn't take a knee. Um so that's uh, three to two now in terms of passing game. Temple ran it 42 times, threw it 25, 3-3. Three, three. Bethune-Cookman ran it 36 times, threw it 34, 4-3 run. Uh, Texas A&M only ran it 24 times, threw it 30 times, had a great day throwing the ball. So now it's 4-4. Four, four. And then Miami of Ohio ran it 36 times, only threw it 25. So 5-4 in terms of run-the-pass differential. Your thoughts on that? It's been pretty balanced when you look at the numbers. 276 runs, 262 pass attempts. Listen, it's easier to run the ball <clears throat> against weaker opponents. So mm -hmm. those games against Miami, Ohio early in the season, those other games that you know weren't they clearly overmatched Temple. You know, that's easier to run the ball. In conference play, it gets a little bit more difficult. It also gets more difficult when you can't throw the football. So when teams are just expecting you to run the ball, even though they're playing coverage, their fronts and their linebackers are front seven are ready and willing to to make contact with you at the line of scrimmage because they know what's coming. So you have to do some different things. And I I like balance, but not balance for the sake of balance. You have to attack teams where they're weakest and where you're strongest to try and find opportunities to get your playmakers the ball in, in different ways. So offense isn't just, okay, we're going to go into this game, we're going to run the ball more than we pass it. It really is what the game dictates, what we have available to us, what the defense is giving us, what we're doing well, you know, what we see in terms of film opportunities for us to take advantage of and just get the ball to playmakers' hands. That was Mike Leach's thing in the air raid. They asked him, you know, a lot of times you're you're unbalanced with your pass-to-run ratio. You're throwing the ball 50 times and running it 15. And he's like, yeah, but I'm getting 500, 600 yards a game. The right. reason is I don't believe in it having to be a run to be balanced. I could throw the ball to a receiver three yards down the field or behind the line of scrimmage on a bubble, and that acts as a run. And I'm getting more yardage out of that than I am on a run. So it's really your offensive philosophy and what's available to you. And I think the one thing that has really slowed this running game down is not only the inability to throw the ball and the lack of a tight end threat is the lack of diversity in the run scheme. You're seeing inside zone, yeah, the same run in the middle, and they give in the A-gaps 90% of the time. You are rarely seeing guys pull anymore. You're not seeing enough counter. You're not seeing enough power. You're not seeing any traps. You're not seeing reverses anymore. You're not seeing jet sweeps. You're, and then, of course, when you don't have a quarterback that's a threat out of a zone read – then you're not seeing any of that stuff either. So that's why I think they should have had a Jakari package coming into ACC play. I get yep. they wanted to save his red shirt, but at this point they have to have something and it's not complicated because this isn't something that they have to install that they've never had. They've had counters. They've had read options. They've had zones. So, I mean, to me, it's, I would, I would run quarterback counter with Jakari. If you can do it, like they were doing with Brendan Armstrong would throw him in there. I would run zone read with him. If he's in there, the great thing to do would be, also run tight end pop where you're faking inside zone and throwing it over the top, but you don't have a tight end to speak of right now. Yeah. It's uh, it's quite the battle Mario's got on his hands here, Carlos. We're going to break down uh, Florida State here for for you guys, the podcast, when I get Ira Chauffel, uh, who's Ira's, Ira and I are good friends. We've known each other for many, many years. Huh, I bet you are. 
He's covered Florida State for a long time for War Chant, and we see each other whenever uh, at ACC Media Days and whenever the Canes and Seminoles hook up. Yes, yes, we we call each other all the time to talk about FSU football. My private. That's why I got this hat, Carlos. It's just me and the Seminoles. Look how worn that hat is, dude. You've worn that so many times. I wore it to pickleball a couple of times. I will, I will ah! say I did it. I needed to sweat and I, I needed a cap. And yeah. this is the only, this is the only one available. Okay. Um, again. So that had its pickle juiced. It's pickle juiced. Yes, exactly. Uh, so I'm going to have Ira on uh, today. We're recording today, Tuesday, November 7th. We'll, we'll have him on uh, tomorrow. The plan is uh, 3 PM. In fact, we're going to uh, kind of do a duo uh, podcast where he's going to be able to also share uh, our conversation for his Seminole fans uh, up there at Florida State. Um, I will be representing the the Kane side, even though I've got an FSU hat, Carlos. Um, we, so that'll be done. And then I, I wanted to get to some mailbag because obviously the fan base is really, really upset. And I figured you and I could tackle bring, some of these. Let me bring this back so I can get prepared for this. All right, um, and then we're going to wrap things up for today because I don't know what else we need to talk. Do we need to talk about Daryl Porter and uh, Jaden Davis potentially not playing in this game? I guess I can mention that. Uh, Mario said that he called Jaden Davis perfect, and I forgot what he said about Daryl Porter, but we know Mario's track record on injuries. We don't. He went to the uh, Butch Davis School of Lying when it comes to injury updates. All I say is, I'll say this week is, um, you know, Johnny Wilson hasn't been spectacular this season, but if there's one game that he's built for, Towering over smaller corners. It's this one. <laughs> All right. I'm going to start here. I'm going to go as far back as I can to some of these responses because I, I think, oh my God, some of them are like. They're rats. I mean, they're, they're, they're uh, yeah. All right. This is from Tom 524 there you go, Tom. I gave you, I gave you all your, your complete shot, uh, shout out here. Is that, that's we, the same uh, prison Tom, I believe. Yeah, we all know definition of insanity as it sits based on what we know and have seen we what we do. Have a quarterback on the roster capable of effectively passing against FSU. Why not play Jakari and try and turn this into a rock fight and win this game on the ground with the offensive line? So, Carlos, do you think Miami in, a, in this make-believe world could play Jakari every snap and run the football a la Wildcat style, a la Ronnie Brown, and maybe throw it five times and beat FSU? Yeah, uh, I don't think that's that's they're capable of doing that. Now, do you play Jakari? Maybe give him the start, but give him things to do in the passing game and work off play action, which I think would be smart. Mm -hmm. Maybe it works. I mean, he's he didn't prove to be too accurate at the end of last season. I mean, obviously he isn't accurate enough to be the the number two quarterback, but his athleticism makes up for a lot in this offense. Um, if he's in there, you got to give him stuff to do in the passing game as well. It can't just be all run. But yes. I love the element that he adds with his legs. And I think if like what I want to do, which is add Matthew McCoy in there, give him 30, 40 snaps at tight end, it fits well. This is from Cranky Kane. So his name already gives it away. Glitchy. So yeah, he's, he's that's the name of the fan base. I don't know if that's his individual name. Glitchy Morpheus. We give TVD lots of deserved crap, but Dawson's unit has cost us every loss. And for the first time ever, our tight ends have no involvement. His QB is completely falling apart who he directly coaches. Plus, Smith gets zero touches versus NC State. Do we have to fire Shannon Dawson? Um, If he doesn't get fired at the end of the season and leave on his own, I think it's because Mario prefers to have a guy like Shannon Dawson that he could basically bully and push around and tell, what he wants, tell him what he wants to run. That might be the reason why he ended up hiring Shannon Dawson anyway, 
is the fact that he wasn't a true offensive coordinator to begin with. He basically just game planned for uh, Dana Holgerson and came over here. And Mario said, here, you could have the offense. You could call plays as long as there's a plays I want you call. That could very well be the case. But I, I also think, again, and I said this on Big O when I made my, my appearance with him earlier today. Um, while I heard all this from Oregon writers, that this is the way Mario coaches. He wants to have a guy that he can sort of push around at the offensive coordinator position, great recruiter, all this other stuff that they, you know, they give Mario credit for, but this is his, this is his fault. I think if Mario Cristobal is going to be the coach at Miami for his entire length of his contract, he's going to have to adjust at some point and trust his offensive coordinator because he is not an offensive coordinator. He is an offensive line coach and he will do an unbelievable job with that. But at some point he needs to a recruit an elite quarterback. I don't know that he's done that yet. And B, um, hire the kind of offensive coordinator who he will trust and and let him do his job, bottom line. Yeah, and I think he had his most success with Joe Moorhead as the offensive coordinator and and also uh, his buddy, I forget, uh, uh, Avalos, I forget his name, the guy that was head coach at UNLV for a little bit that uh, or San yeah. State, that got fired. Yeah. But I think Joe Moorhead would, was a great fit for Mario because he does a lot in the run schemes but also is very creative with it. He's physical, he likes to run the football, but he's creative in the way he does things and also opens it up through play-action pass. I would love to see Joe Moore down here if he gets fired from Akron. This is Jake Campbell, the one coach soup, says, have you ever witnessed a QB regression like this in regards to TVD? Kyle Wright comes to mind because because up until the LSU bowl game, he looked like the real deal in 2005. And then the wheels came completely off in 2006. TVD looks so good, and now it's so painful to watch. Ryan Clement or Kelly, Kenny Kelly might be up there too, but they were QBs during or right out of the death penalty days. Yeah, I don't think Kenny Kelly had like a sharp decline. I think he was just who he was. And the same thing with Ryan Clement. He was who he was. It wasn't great. Yeah. Uh, maybe maybe Kirby Freeman. He had a couple moments where it looked like he was going to be okay. And then just Kirby ter- Freeman? The guy who turned the, the U tattoo into the O tattoo? Yeah, they just looked terrible the rest of the way. I mean, there's not a lot of comparison for this. This is pretty pretty unique territory. I, I, I man, I would say, look, even I guess Malik Rozier, I mean, not that he was great really ever, but the beginning of that 2017 season, he was doing his job pretty well. And then at the end, it all kind of fell apart, you know? Yeah, and he wasn't that great the following season. Yeah. Um, This is Tony Perez, big Chilean, 63. How much influence has Mario had in this year's offensive play calling? Tony, I can't answer that question, honestly, because I don't – I'm not in the coaches' meetings – Again, this was a, something we've covered here in this podcast today. All I'm going to say is he has an influence in some way, shape, or form. Yeah, and I can tell you this. Um, whoever has the most influence or the most say and whoever's coming up with the offensive game plans, they're not doing a good job. Such a weird year. This is from Gary's guys, okay? Uh, such a weird year. Defense seems to get better each week and offense gets worse each week. I still see a lot of positive signs for progress within the program, but it's just hard to win without a quarterback. Holistically, how do you feel about this program's direction season to date? I said this on Big O as well. Um, I think when this season ends, whether it's, I don't know, in the uh, the, the Weed Eater Bowl or uh, the Nobody Gives a Shit Bowl, um, I, I think we're going to sit back and say there were two areas where Miami took big steps forward. One, the offensive line. Two, the defense, right? And I think in order to improve as a program, everything has to be obviously piping hot, performing really, really well. 
I think for sure the one area we're going to say they didn't progress was on offense. Like whatever progression we saw through the first four weeks was probably more of a mirage because while Miami ran the ball better, they didn't win games with their passing game. They stopped winning games because of their passing game. And I think that is going to be the big question moving forward is, do you have the right coordinator? Do you have the right quarterback? And those are two huge questions ultimately that can totally blow up whatever progress you you make in those other areas. Yeah, and another head-scratching thing for me this past week was, you know, Mark Fletcher ran the ball really well, um, but where's the rotation of running back? Why did they they give so many carries to Fletcher only give one or two to Parrish and to Cheney if they were both available? You gave them a carry, right, one or two each. Why not rotate those guys in and keep Fletcher fresh? Give him the majority of the carries. That's fine. But yeah. you're banging that kid in there. It, this isn't Madden where guys don't get tired. If you turn the fatigue off, you could run them all day. That doesn't happen in real life. Those guys get tired, and eventually you're going to see a diminishing return on investment per carry. So yeah. rotate guys in. So that's another failing in, with the offense, in my in my opinion. And to me, the other thing that you're going to look at at the end of the season is when you look back on it, there's going to be the two major failings, in my mind, aside from TVD, are coaching-related. The offensive coordination, the way this, this offense was handled and TVD was handled, and two, clock management and game management. That cost you a game. Could have cost you other ones with decisions that were iffy. So to me, those are long-term lingering things beyond TVD that need to be resolved. And I don't know if they are, but they should, hopefully, down the road for for this program to get to that next level. Uh, My buddy Everything Kane uh, says, why are we so cursed? Carlos, do you feel cursed? Uh, Because we tore down the Orange Bowl. We are absolutely cursed. We're absolutely cursed. Once we tore down the Orange Bowl, that was it. It was over. This program's run was done. You sure it wasn't Larry Coker making some deal with the devil, like going somewhere down Southwest Eighth Street, uh, you know, killing some roosters and and just to try to get the program back. Maybe he made a bad gamble. Uh, who knows what happened there in two thousand two, two thousand three? But at some point, the only reason I don't believe that is because Larry Coker looked like he already had the soul sucked out of him by the time he became the head coach at the University of Miami. Uh, so he just looked like a walking zombie. Either way. So I don't think he did that. But I mean, as soon as that orange bowl went down, man, nothing got better. It's it's just been me. It's been mediocre. It was mediocrity before that, but it was just horrendous after that. This is from Trigger Trey on uh, Twitter. Anything on the new facility. Also, he says, JB me. I guess that means uh, Chikari Brown. He wants Chikari Brown. Um, anything on the new facility. I know that they haven't started construction yet. I know that they are still in the fundraising process. But I will say this, and I know this from from you know from fact, they're spent they are trying to raise as much money as they can in NIL in addition to building this uh this facility. So there are challenges at the University of Miami. It's not an easy job. Uh and, and what if you're holding off on that facility because maybe, you know, you're like, oh, okay, hold off. Let's let's wait to see what happens here. Am I gonna dump two hundred million, three hundred million, four hundred million in a facility? Uh, when this team is ending up six and six anyway, why don't I just hang on to that money and pay the buyout at the end of year four? Uh, this is similar questions from Tyler Overly and Rodney King. Everybody has the same thing on their mind. Essentially, have you ever seen a QB regress more than TVD this season? Is it between the ears, injury, or combo of both? Uh, Rodney says, have you or Carlos ever seen a QB in Miami history regress this bad so fast? We mentioned it already, guys. Um is it between the ears and injury? I think it's a combo of both. I think it's all the above. And and I and again, think about just college football in general. Which quarterbacks 
put up big numbers and then completely fell apart. It's hard to think of many right off the top of my head because usually it just continues. So that's a that's an interesting question. I'm going to ask some of my college football writers at The Athletic. Yeah, any other quarterbacks? Have they gotten the yips and just disappeared? Uh, this is from uh, Renton RC. Looking ahead the next year, how really far apart are UM and FSU? Seems the only difference is a QB, and both teams will be starting fresh next year with UM possibly having a head start at the position. Uh, wow. Um, how far apart are Miami and Florida State? I, I think the one thing that, again, receiver is what we talked about going into the season, right? Um, Keon Coleman and Johnny Wilson are better than anything Miami has on its roster yep. at the receiver position. Um, Jordan Travis, the way he plays the game, the way he sees the field, um, uh, being a dual threat quarterback who can take off and run. Those are not easy things to just snap your fingers and say, well, we're going to match them there. Um, I'll say this. I think Miami's good enough right now to beat Florida. I don't think they're anywhere close to being good enough to beat Florida State. So if you're, if you're, if you're doing the measuring game of where, where is Miami in the pecking order, I think Miami is further along than Florida is in terms of their rebuild. But I also think Florida is going to get a better quarterback in DJ Lagway walking through their door next year, and that could – even things by the time those teams take the field. As far as Florida State is concerned, Mike Norvell has it rolling. And once you have it rolling and you make the college football playoff and you win the ACC, it gets easier. Just like Miami High back in the day in basketball. Maybe Shaky Rodriguez had to do a lot of recruiting in the beginning. But once he got it rolling, baby, it rolls. And that's what Miami had. Miami had, you know, 20 good years uh, where they where it rolled and and then it stopped and it's well, hard and to shaky's defense again. and shaky's defense yes. it was really only recruiting Doug Edwards and me one or two other guys and then he got the ball rolling all right because they were winning with Jamel Martinez that uh, was zoned into the school not winning like when they had Doug Edwards though um <laughs> uh all right trigger Trey has own I believe if JB starts it'll be the last time we hear another QB's name for a couple years. He plays to the higher end of his upside with his leadership ability. Is he's going to be great? What are your thoughts, Chikari Brown? And we've talked about this on the podcast before. To me, his ceiling is Cam Newton, right? His ceiling. He has that kind of physical ability. You saw it against Georgia Tech last year in his start. But the problem is, I've yet to see him plant his feet and deliver a throw, and be consistent in terms of throwing. So. Maybe, maybe he's a surprise starter on Saturday and everything changes, you know, but I also think the likelihood of that happening is the same as me hitting the lottery. Wow. Those are, those are big odds. Yeah. But I mean, you never know, man. I mean, at the end of the day, oh, Jesus Christ, you've got to give this kid a shot and see what he could do under the lights and in, in, on the biggest stage, right? Yeah. You can't just sit him on the bench and expect to to see some sort of growth. If you've already given Tyler Van Dyke you know, all the, all these opportunities to go out there and try and write himself and he's not available. He can't do it. Um, see what the kid can do. What's the harm in doing it? I mean, it's not going to, it's not like the season's going to go down the drain. Just go out there and see what he can do. You need to find out what you have in terms of quarterback and ability. And if this kid, maybe the lights come on and it clicks for him, because sometimes that happens with guys. Sometimes they get into a situation, they play a, an opponent where the light, the, everything's on the line. The lights are the brightest. The crowd is the biggest. And they come out and they turn it into something different and it builds them and boosts them and propels him forward to something else. Or it could be a career end for him here at the University of Miami. But the opportunity has to be given, I think, at this point. I agree. Um, a lot of this stuff, I'm, I'm going over the rest of these questions, and, and they're stuff we've covered here. Um, 
this yeah, it one... sucks that we can't just talk about like great Florida State Miami memories. We have to go down this train with uh can we get TVD out of here as quickly as possible in handcuffs? Yeah. Uh Andrew V underscore seventeen. Do you feel any different about TVD being the starter this week after hearing what Mario and Dawson had to say yesterday? If it was up to you, would you make a change at quarterback? Who do you start, Carlos? I'd probably start Emory Williams and mix in Jakari Brown uh, and then go with the hot hand in the second half. I think you should give you should probably start Emory Williams and give Jakari two to three series in the first half. If you see that it's working better with one or the other, then you roll with a hot hand. I, I give TVD the first quarter, and if the offense isn't doing anything, then I bring the other guys in. That's it. I mean, like I said, I think at this point they're better served just letting TVD claim it's an injury. And uh, this is from Stephen AS95. Hot take. TVD will start with a short leash. leash. If he doesn't get doesn't have it in the first quarter, JB, not Emery, will get the first call. Question, what has to be done on defense to contain Travis in the pocket? He's got wheels. That's a good question. Um, he doesn't run a whole lot. I think he only runs when he needs to, right? Like when he needs to take mm-hmm. off and run. Um, I think the big thing for Miami this game is um, stopping that counter. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, stopping Trey Benson. Mario seemed to think that because it's a completely different defense this year, that won't be a problem. I still think I'd, I want to see it. I want to see Corey Flag and these guys make tackles. Yeah, I agree. I'd, I'd come back in with the three-three-five that they use against Clemson. I think their run defense looks really good doing that. And I think most of the night, even when they were in four-two-five looks against uh, NC State, they were they were keeping Jafari Harvey off the line of scrimmage, and they were making it seem like a three-three-five. They were rotating that in. And giving three, three, five looks. I think that's our best uh, opportunity. I want to see three linebackers on the field to try and stop the run, and try and you know you do what you can against seven foot nine Johnny Wilson and uh, Keon Coleman. Carlos, I appreciate your help as always. Make sure you tune into the MIA All Day Podcast where Carlos draws up all the plays Shannon Dawson should be running. Uh, make sure you follow him on Twitter at Eledo thirteen oh seven and uh, at MIA All Day Pod. There you go. Uh, Make sure you subscribe here on the YouTube page uh, and subscribe to The Athletic. If you've got a couple extra dollars in your pocket, I'll happily take them. Even better, if you guys want to sponsor the podcast, I mean, you're a sponsor of the uh, the YouTube channel at the very least, let us know. We're Mm -hmm. very happy uh, to take money, us, (laughs) liquor. Beer, whatever you can throw our way, whatever whatever you can offer up, uh, we'll uh, we'll happily do that. Thank you for tuning in to Wide Right. I will be back with another episode really soon with Ira Chafel of War Chant. Be sure to follow that. That'll be on YouTube. Thanks for tuning in. See you next time. Peace. It's all about the you.